Tabitha right now, if you're in our contemporary worship venue or joining us online, I'm really glad that we're connected here to learn from God's Word together. Our ushers are going to count the aisles in our traditional and contemporary venues here on campus. And if you have a Bible with you already, you can open that up. We're going to review that passage from Luke 19. If you'd like to borrow a Bible during this hour, please take one from the ushers and you can turn to that story. We're going to read it in a few minutes. I'll give you the page number when the time comes. And you can just put that on the shelf in the back of the room uh, after worship today. Today is the third and final week on a little mini-series we've been doing as part of our larger journey reading the biography of Jesus according to Luke this year. We've been reading about Jesus' life story, reading about the kind of life he teaches us and invites us to live. And for the last three weeks, concluding today, we've been talking about something that Jesus teaches about a lot, and that is about our relationship to money and possessions. And I thought that I would begin today, I kind of saved this for the last week, by sharing with you maybe a little image or a lens that I've been using that helped me in putting these different stories and teachings together as we were preparing for this series. As I thought about the different stories that Jesus told and and in today's reading, an example from his life, it reminded me very strongly of an exercise that I have used with nearly every pre-marriage couple that I have helped to get married here at Community of Grace. So those of you whose weddings I've had a chance to officiate, uh, you may recognize this. And I'm not talking about the exercises that have to do with the really practical money stuff, like the goal setting and the monthly cash flow plan, all that stuff. There was another one that most of us have done together, and it has to do with what we value about money or what emotions are attached to money in our lives. Lots of couples don't understand this about one another. I wish that I had learned this earlier in life. I'd probably have done a much better job in my marriage around these topics. And as we, there was a quiz, a kind of a questionnaire that those of you who have had weddings here that I've officiated in the last number of years, you fill this quiz out, and it was designed to help you think about what money is attached to in your heart, right? So you think about like a, a dollar bill or a $20 bill or whatever. The thing itself doesn't really have value, right? It's a couple square inches of paper and some green ink and maybe some special foil in it or something like that. But the thing itself doesn't really have value. But it gets you something. What, what does it get you? What does it buy for you? Why do you value it? Well, by the end of this exercise, what we realize is that some of us value money for enjoyment. Like, hey, this is great. Money can get me things that help make my life more comfortable, more enjoyable, just kind of better to go through on a day-to-day basis. And I think we can all understand what that's like, whether that's exactly our tie or not. Some of us, by the end of this little questionnaire, realize that what that valueless piece of paper and green ink is tied to in our hearts is security, that we value being able to have enough of this to feel safe in life and be prepared for what comes and life is unpredictable and so we, it's tied to that in our hearts. And for us, still others of us, it's tied to something that we might call status. So like if we earn a lot of it or have a lot of it or own nice things, we'll feel more successful, we'll feel like we've done well in life. In fact, have you ever heard that expression? It kind of bothers me every time. So-and-so has done very well. Are you sure? What have they done well at? But we've done well, right? We feel good about ourselves or other people may look up to us and so it's tied to status in our hearts. When I think about the way that this works, the image that comes to mind for me is the way that our heart would resonate with certain of those temptations. I'll call them temptations because they're not wrong in themselves but we start to find our enjoyment, security, or status in our money or possessions instead of in our relationship with God, and it starts to become a possession or a temptation for us. So I think about the way that these different heartstrings are pulled for us. 
or another image, the way that our heartstrings resonate with certain temptations. Do, do you know what a, what a resonant frequency is? Let, let me illustrate this. Like if you had, I, I think if you had like a crystal wine glass, and I think I've done this before, it's not just a myth, right? And you run your finger around it kind of at the right speed, it'll start to vibrate and start to sing a little bit, start to make a sound. You found the resonant frequency of that glass and it'll vibrate just the right, right time. Or uh, if you're on a swing, like at a, at a playground, you're on a swing, if you pump your legs at just the right time, you can make the wave that you're on, you can swing go higher. If you pump them at the wrong time, nothing good happens. But if you kind of get the rhythm down, then it works. Or, and this one's a little advanced for me, but, but Doug over here could confirm it for me, I think. If I went over to the piano right now, I'm pretty sure that if I strike one key hard enough, make enough volume, it'll make other strings inside the piano that are related to that string vibrate because they have certain matching resonant frequencies, right? And if I picked a different key, is that right? Yes, good. Okay, if I picked a different string, different related strings would also vibrate, right? So the way that I think about this is that our hearts have kind of different people in this room, different people are gonna have different resonant frequencies. Some of us are gonna go like, yeah, when it's tied to enjoyment, I'm gonna resonate with that, right? Or if it's tied to security, I'm gonna respond to that. That's a need that I feel. Or status, that's a need that I feel. Those are different resonant frequencies for us. Another way to think about this is to think about the very intelligent people who work in the marketing departments for very profitable corporations. They know that your hearts resonate to these things, right? So you can watch commercials, magazine ads, billboards, whatever, and you could ask yourself, is this, thing prom is this product or service that's being sold, is it promising me enjoyment or security or status? Like people will look up to me, I'll be really cool, I'll have lots of friends. If I have a cooler of Corona on the beach, maybe you've seen this commercial, right? Or especially like financial services, you're gonna be set for life, you've got total rock solid security, or all the enjoyment and the fun and the commercials that if you, I don't know, you buy this particular product, then you get a new boat on the lake and you go flying down the lake and like you have lots of enjoyment, right? So you gotta think about that. And maybe you even wanna think about which one of those things, probably all of us respond to all of them in different ways a little bit, but I bet for most of us, one resonates more strongly than another, right? So as you're thinking about which one that might be for you and which one can even become a temptation for you to find your joy or security or status more in one of these things, more in your money or possessions than in God, you can recognize a temptation for yourself. And if you've been here for all three weeks of this series, you may be remembering right now that the first story that Jesus told that we read in this series was a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And the very first sentence says of that story, it says there was a, a certain wealthy man, he had lots, and he lived in luxury every day, and he dressed in fine clothes, and he feasted sumptuously. And this was an everyday thing for him, right? We talked about how the things that we have every day, the luxuries, the enjoyments, they fade and where we really find our joy and we learn to share, right? Enjoyment, right? And the second story that Jesus told that we read last week was about a guy whose career, he was a farmer in his case, but his work suddenly became very lucrative and what he did with that was to tear down his old barns and, big, bigger barn, and build bigger barns and store stuff up against an insecure future and make sure that he had plenty for the future, right? So security. And today, we're gonna to be reading a story about or reviewing a story about a character Jesus actually met, not in this case a parable, but a real person whose experience of status was kinda of complicated, but it had a lot to do with his relationship with and how he used money and related to people. And so we're gonna read the story of Zacchaeus together today. So let me review it with you here. I think it's worth hearing, especially in this context. So if you would turn with me to Luke 19, it's on page 1539 of your Quest Bibles. And I'm gonna uh, read these 10 verses here with this question in mind. 
Jesus entered Jericho. This is kind of a border town outside of Jerusalem, and he's passing through there. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He was doing very well in life, right? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And then Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, and this crowd was there. He looked up into the tree, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus welcomed him into his home. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, when they were in his house there, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. It's a dramatic response to Jesus in his life. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and he had, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, let me explain a couple things about Zacchaeus and his relation to the people around him. It says that he was wealthy and that he was a chief tax collector. Now, Zacchaeus's status, his identity, his self of who he was in relationship to others, his value, really was all mixed up. Because on the one hand, he had reached a successful point in his career. He was not only a tax collector, I'll say more about what that job means in a second, but he was the chief of them. He had moved up to a high level in his field. He's very wealthy, he'd made lots of money. In that way, you would think that he would feel lots of value in life. On the other hand, he had lots of factors that made him feel like a reject among his own people, right? So on the one hand, he was a tax collector, right? Now, I don't hardly know anybody who enjoys paying taxes. I actually have met one person, but that's the only one I can think of. And it's a good time to read this one because tax day is in like a month, right? So he was, he was a tax collector. Nobody liked paying him money. Now, in addition to the fact that nobody likes paying their taxes anyway, he also was collecting money, not for the Jewish people of whom he would have been a member, but for the Romans, right? And so the tax collectors who collected taxes for the Romans were collecting money from the Jewish people for the people who occupied their land and oppressed them. So they were paying money to support a system they hated in the first place. That, as if that weren't bad enough, the tax collectors were not exactly what you'd call, what's the word, honest, <laughs> right? They had authority to line their own pockets, right? You owe $10 this month for crossing this road or crossing this border. It'll be 20 or you're in trouble. Well, there's no recourse on that, right? Not only do people not like paying their taxes, not like paying their taxes to Rome, not like being cheated, and Zacchaeus does all those things, he's the chief among them. He was better than everybody else at it, incurred favor, probably bribed his way to the top. He was the chief tax collector among them. His relationship among people, his status, his sense of personal value among his community would have been pretty low. And then there was also this. Do you know the Zacchaeus song? Have any of you ever heard the Sunday school song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. They sang that around Zacchaeus, right? And he didn't like it very much. No, they didn't, I don't think they sang it then. It was made up later, right? I'm sure, that, I'm sure that was an issue for Zacchaeus too, right? So Zacchaeus had this whole mixed up different levels of his personal sense of worth and value. But here, I think, is what good came of that for Zacchaeus. He knew, he understood he experienced how the accumulation of material success and wealth was not creating value and status for him. He was able to realize, he was able to experience that it doesn't work, that, that, it, that it never works. 
And I think you can see that in the story, that he's got all that he needs, but Jesus comes to town and he goes running, another very undignified thing for a man of position to do in his world, to climb a tree to see Jesus. He is hungry. He needs something else. His bucket has not been filled, right? Okay, now let me give you another visual image for this. I talked about like resonant frequency and how we might resonate with something. Sometimes this can be very destructive. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this before or seen any pictures or video of the collapse of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. This happened in the year 1940. It was a bridge that was built with some uh, engineering decisions that have been changed nowadays. And uh, as the wind began to blow on the bridge, it began to vibrate. And well, I brought a video along and I'll kind of explain what you're seeing. Can we roll that video? So there, can you see the bridge shaking there? You got wind coming up the, the valley, hitting the bridge at just the right direction, just the right velocity, and look at that thing start to vibrate. For those of you who have fear of bridges, I'm sorry for what I'm doing to you right now, right? And so the, the amplitude, the severity of the vibration gets more and more because it hits the resonant frequency of the bridge, and pretty soon you're gonna see, there's a car running. Can you see the car? And there's a guy walking off the bridge. Not running, walking off the bridge, and pretty soon that happens to the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. This is the year 1940, right? And so what I just want to provide an image for you there, and I'm sorry if that image is now in your nightmares, but the, the image that I wanted to provide for you there is how destructive it can be when you hit a resonant frequency in your life that's going to do more harm than good, right? Now here's a way, I said those of you who have bridge fears, those of you who are engineers are also probably having nightmares right now, like what did they do? Here's where I think when money is tied to status in our lives, it provides a little different and maybe even more dangerous challenge than the first two we talked about. I think the stakes are maybe even a little bit higher. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about enjoyment, right? And, and how it is that we might seek joy in money. And we said, you know, it's not actually wrong to enjoy some of the things in life that money can buy. If you like the house that you live in and you're happy to be warm and dry in the winter, that's not wrong, right? If you like a good meal, that's not wrong that food that you bought tastes good to you. If you took a spring break trip with your family and you spent some family time doing something, my family, they went and visited some family and friends over spring break, it's not wrong to enjoy those things, right? Now, I think we've heard Jesus warn us, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, watch out, you know, don't go to extreme on this, don't let it become an idol for you where you think this is where joy is really found, and by all means, learn to practice the kingdom principle of sharing, but this thing in itself is not wrong. It's as it becomes an idol for us that it becomes a problem, right? Same thing we said last week with security. It's not wrong to have some moderate amount of wise savings for the future. Jesus said in the story last week, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We talked about the difference between storing up things for ourselves and being rich toward God. So we had to be careful with that, right? But don't, don't make an idol of it. And by all means, practice the kingdom principle of sharing. But but having some measure of wise material security is not wrong. But now we come to status. And I think it's always dangerous. It's, it's never helpful to find our value or our identity in what we earn or what we own, right? Let me, let me illustrate this again a little bit more lighthearted sort of way. Some of, the, some of the people, there's lots of different categories, but some of the people in our culture who earn millions and millions and millions of dollars are entertainers, right? Including pro athletes. So this is a picture right here of the house that is owned by Tom Brady, 
who's the quarterback of the New England Patriots, probably nobody likes him anyway, and his wife, Giselle Bunchen, if I'm pronouncing that right. She's a supermodel, I guess. So you can tell how tuned in I am, right? So this is their house, right? Pretty nice house. Would you guys trade this house with your house? I mean, if you could just kind of for free, would you swap that? That's a pretty nice house. He earned and she earned enough money to own this property. There's actually a moat in front. How cool is that? There's a bridge over a moat to the front door. They earned enough money to live in this house for the skills of throwing a football well and looking like you're apparently supposed to look to be in a magazine. Okay, right? Now, by contrast, babysitters. Huh? Babysitters take care of the most precious resource in humanity, the next generation of tiny humans, right? They make several bucks an hour. You're not gonna get that house being a babysitter. Stay-at-home parents, no salary at all, zero, right? There is no reliable correlation in this world between money and value. There is no reliable correlation in this world between what you earn or what you own and your actual worth. Let me say it another way. There is no, what you are, your worth is in no way dependent on your net worth. You hear me? Instead, Jesus comes to all of us, like he came to Zacchaeus in this story, to change our whole minds about this, to give us our value, and he said, salvation has come to this house of Zacchaeus because he too, and he used this phrase, son of Abraham, a child of God in the family of God. And for all of you who have heard the good news of Jesus, who comes to us in our brokenness, whether that sin is some form of material greed or something else entirely that we're not even talking about right now, comes to us in our fear, our brokenness, our failure, and our sin, comes to us in grace and forgiveness, and says, you come with me. Be part of my community. Be in relationship with your heavenly Father. You are a child of God in the family of God. Could you guys say that with me? If you're here in a traditional service, contemporary service, sitting at home or in a coffee shop somewhere, would you repeat after me, I am a child of God in the family of God. I am a child of God in the family of God. That is so important for all of us to know. Whether you have a little or whether you have a lot or somewhere in the middle or wish you had a different amount than you have, there is nothing that can be done to your identity. There's no success, no financial success, no material disaster or failure that can add or subtract one little bit from your status, from your value. You are a child of God in the family of God. Now, my main point here has been to deconstruct something, to, to say there's, this, this is a negative proposition. There's no relationship between your worth and your net worth. But I do want to say one positive thing about how we can use money positively with regard to a person's status or dignity. In this story, Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. Jesus comes to his house. Jesus dignifies him by coming to his house and welcomes him to his own table in Jesus' presence. And then what is the result? Zacchaeus starts to give stuff away. He starts to share generously. He gives away half of what he's got. And if he's defrauded anybody, and he's a chief tax collector in the Roman era, so he probably almost everything he's got, he told, stole from somebody. He, he, uh, he pays that back four times over, right? Now, in the way that we as Christians, and Christians with some level of resources, and the way that we practice the kingdom principle of sharing with others, there are ways to share with others that confer dignity on others and, and ways that don't, ways that reinforce status difference. I have more than you, I'm doing better than you, and reinforces some deceptive status hierarchies there. 
And I'm really generally proud of the mission and service partners that we work with in lots of different ways. Mission of Hope in Haiti and our Operation Home partners and our Operation Neighborhood partners do a terrific job of this. But I wanted to just give one example of uh, an organization that we work with a little bit uh, that I don't talk about very much. And that organization is called Bridging. Some of you may have heard of Bridging before. They're based here in the Twin Cities. And what they do is they serve families that are transitioning out of homelessness into transitional housing or, or stable housing for the first time or the first time again. And what the founders and leaders of Bridging realize is people move into apartments they haven't been in before, and what they've got is what fits in their backpack, right? And so the kids in these families, they don't have beds to sleep in, they sleep on the floor, they don't have tables where they can invite friends over, they don't have glasses and dinner plates to put in their kitchen. And so they've got a warm, dry place, and that's a step forward, but they don't have anything in there and can't really have access to get anything for it. So bridging began 20 or 30 years ago and began to collect donations from just all kinds. You know, there's millions of people here in the Twin Cities and from, uh, from other agencies and furniture stores and hotels and all kinds of people to donate like new or new or lightly used furniture to bridging and people can come and receive this stuff. But as I was there recently, one of the points they really reinforced to me is we are committed to doing this in a way that elevates the dignity of those who receive these things. So we're not taking your junk, right? First of all, it's got to be good stuff. It's got to be stuff not only you would want, but the, the, uh, the sort of barometer that I heard or the, the dipstick for this that I heard was, if you would give this to a friend and they knew it came from you, then you can donate it here, right? So they take stuff that would give somebody dignity, they'd be happy to have it. And then it's not just whatever old junk we have, we'll pick it out, or even good junk, we'll pick it out and give it to you, but the, the clients, the guests at Bridging, are guided around on a shopping trip, right? So you don't have to take whatever couch we've got, but you can pick out the one that you like or the kitchen set that matches your preferences, and it provides some dignity there. There's a phrase that I learned from our former senior pastor, Steve Mahan, when I worked with him years ago. He said, oftentimes, we love things and we use people. Instead, what if we could use things to love people well, right? And I think about that phrase and I think about how it is that we use our material possessions, our, our money, our possessions, our wealth, in order to love people well. Oftentimes, we love things and we use people. What if we could simply use our things to love people well? I wanna finish this series here by just very briefly sharing with you, mostly not my words, but some additional words from scripture. In fact, this passage that I wanna finish by reading to you is one that we read parts of in snippets here in the traditional service over the last couple weeks. But I wanted to read it to you in, in one medium-sized chunk right now because I think it, it speaks so well in words that were addressed to an ancient community thousands of years ago, but continue to make so much sense to me in our own context right now. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you want to mark that down to read it yourself later, please feel free. But I'm just going to read it to you right now and invite you to listen to these instructions. This was written by the Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, to a younger Christian leader, uh, Pastor Timothy, his, his mentee, his apprentice. And he was giving Timothy some instructions for how to speak to and lead the community of Christians in ancient Ephesus that he was caring for there. And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, one of several temptations, depending on our resonance, right? Fall into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Doesn't it sound like that bridge? 
For the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is a root of all kinds of different evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I just hear the compassion from Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy for their people. And then a few verses later, he resumes, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, to find your status in your wealth, nor to put their hope in wealth, not to find your security there, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in their security in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's so many things there, but just these two, this contrast, these two phrases that capture my attention. The opportunity we have to pierce ourselves with many griefs or to take hold of the life that is truly life. And I think Jesus taught people around him so much about this topic because he knew what a temptation it is for us and how dangerous it was. And in his compassion, he taught us that we would avoid and flee from the temptation to pierce ourselves with many griefs and instead to take hold of, in him, the life that is truly life. And it's my hope and prayer that we will indeed seek first his kingdom and pursue that life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your care for us, for your good gifts that you give us from heaven, for our enjoyment, for the reliable, secure future that you give us, for the identity in you that is rock solid, that we are your children together as your people. And I pray, God, by your Holy Spirit, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would fill us with grace and hope and love, joy and security in you. And that by your spirit, you would speak to us in your way, the way that you lead us, and that you would strengthen us to follow you, to trust you, to live according to your kingdom. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.